Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. This is one of your hosts, Greg, speaking. We are on big episode number 57 as we're jumping back into things. Uh, Star Trek, or Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery just aired last Thursday. I know there's a lot of content out there about it. We're going to discuss some news and discuss some episode and discuss the episode. But before we do, I would like my other co-host, Captain, to introduce himself again. Hey everybody, it's Derek. Glad to be back. Greg, glad to still have you with us. <laughs> I know, two weeks in a row, we're going to start, uh, what is it, three in a row is a trend, right? Exactly, so, there we go. So we're almost there. Almost. That's what they said, you know, Major League about the Indians, like, you know, three in a row is a winning streak. It has <laughs> happened before. Um, but yeah, we got we got some Star Trek news before we dive into the episode, because it was a pretty pretty significant season opener, mm-hmm. for um, at least for Trek standards, if you think about it. Uh, Absolutely. But there's a little bit of news we were going to discuss first. Derek, well, what do you have in mind? Well, um, just a couple of things. So first is, um, well, it's not like a big article that will have any discussion around it, but something that I think is worth noting is that there is actually a cast change on Star Trek Discovery for Season 2 that is really unique. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not sure of any other example of this happening. So... Uh, Lieutenant Commander Arium, which is the female uh, presenting android bridge officer, was played by uh, Sarah, and I think it's Mitchett. Mitchett is, I think, her last name, M-I-T-I-C-H. I don't, I don't apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, she played that character in Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery. But uh, now that is no longer the case. She actually has what appears to be a humanoid female character named Lieutenant Nilsson, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting because Lieutenant Commander Arium is still on the show um, and is now being played by a woman named Hannah Chessman. So the character is still there, but is being played by a different actor. And the original actor is also still there, but now playing a new role. So she wasn't, you know, replaced. She didn't leave the show. Um, And I don't know the reason um ray who covered for for you greg while you were gone suggested maybe uh sarah had trouble with the makeup and the prosthetic work maybe she had like an allergic reaction or something and it was difficult for her but you know she didn't want to leave and they didn't want her to leave so they found a new role for her but i don't know greg what do you think i actually think that's a possibility you remember um john rice davies from lord of the rings complained for years about his the prosthetics for being a dwarf Mm -hmm. he hated it he said like you know did you want to come back for anything else or blah, blah, blah. And he was like, no, if I have to wear the prosthetics, then no, I don't. Um, well, so it's possible. I mean, it's, you know, I've worn certain costumes that, you know, if it's, if it's claustrophobic around the face or uncomfortable, I don't want to wear it. And there is some precedent here in Star Trek. Uh, Jennifer Lynn, who played Kess on Voyager, she had allergic reactions to the ear prosthetics that the Ocompans have, and that's why during her final season or so on the show, they gave her the long hair, and you rarely saw her ears, so that way she didn't have to wear them. Yeah, and I think she even gave feedback that she wanted to have her long hair back just in general. And yeah. It, which is fine. I mean, characters or cast and crew should be willing to give feedback. Agreed. And if they did make a change, then it's nice that they made a change to help the character out. Or to help mm-hmm. the actress out. So, uh, so that's a small piece of news. That's kind of interesting there. Um, another thing is people have been asking what happened to After Trek, and we knew for those of, of us that have fo- followed the news very closely, we knew that After Trek, as we knew it in season one, was not returning. Um, we didn't really know what was going to replace it. We were told something. 
was going to come in, but it was going to be a different show, a completely different format. And now we know. So on the the day our last episode um, came out, the news dropped that After Trek is actually being completely replaced by a Facebook Live series, um, which will include chats basically with uh, cast crew members, cast and crew members, excuse me, of Star Trek Discovery. So um, this is kind of interesting for a lot of people. I saw some some negative feelings about this because one of the perks of After Trek was it kind of eased any um, some of the the negative feelings that some people have had about paying for CBS All Access. Um, For a lot of people, and myself included, are only paying for All Access for Star Trek Discovery. And having After Trek at least gave us two shows that we were paying for. Um, That's not the case for me. I actually was not really a fan of After Trek. I I only watched the first two episodes and and kind of lost interest. But um, I'm kind of with you on that. It almost felt like they were legitimately fans of the show, but they were trying almost way too hard. And it was it was obnoxious is a wrong word to use because it makes me think that makes me sound like I didn't like the people. It was almost the delivery of the content I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely left a taste of fake fakeness to it because um, you know I love Star Trek as everybody knows, uh, but I also know it's not perfect. Um, I. I I love the fandom, I love the franchise, but it, it has its issues, um, and I, I felt like After Trek was never going to discuss anything real uh, that that happened, um, it was just about my own personal opinion, but but yeah, so they're going to have, uh, quote, weekly Facebook live chats with series stars and creative talent. Um, I assume they'll also include producers and writers and, and things like that, I'm sure, They'll probably have you know Alex Kurtzman on at some point, and he's a, uh, one of the the co-creators and now the showrunner uh, for season two. So that that's replacing things. Um, I'm the kind of person who really only watches videos on my TV still, or or and things like that. I'm not big on watching videos on my phone. I don't really wear headphones much during the day. Um, Greg, how do you feel about it moving? from CBS All Access to Facebook. I actually think it's smart on their part. Um, so many people, he said, you still on, you're big on the TV, but the, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, um, it's more common these days that so many people are using like their phones or their tablets for content. And if they're using it on Facebook, it's so easy. I mean, you could stream with CBS All Access, of course, on your tablets. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But Facebook is essentially everywhere. Yeah. For better or for worse, Facebook is just... Everywhere you go, everybody has access to it, and maybe the production value is so limited in cost that they're willing to eat it if it gets, you know, a 2% or 3% bump on using CBS All Access. Somebody sees the After Trek show on Facebook, or it gets, starts getting shared, they get yeah. a little bit of that ad revenue online, and then somebody's like, eh, that looks pretty neat, I'll, I'll try out All Access. Yeah, uh, that's a fair point. Um, it is interesting. I'm the kind of person who... When someone sends me a video on Facebook or, or Twitter or anything like that, I probably don't have headphones on. And if I'm at work, I can't just listen to it. So I'll think to myself, all right, well, I'll watch it later when I get home. And then I'll forget. I, I, re- I know for a fact somebody, one of my Facebook buddies, commented with a video they wanted me to watch. I promised them I would. And now I've totally forgotten what it even was and what post it was on. And I feel really bad about it. <laughs> but well, that, that is the negative with Facebook is stuff gets so lost. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, unfortunately, things can get skewed when you get to the internet fan base. Um, but I think it's smart. After Trek wasn't doing so well. I, like you said, I stopped watching after, like, a, the second one. I was like, eh, this is just not for me. Um, I'm like, I'd rather just watch another episode of Star Trek instead. That's, yeah, that's for sure. Um, now, we don't know a ton. We don't really know what it's called. Um, we don't know what time it'll be available or where it'll be available. Um, you know, CBS All Access is unique to the United States. Um, it's available on a, uh, I think it's the Space Space Channel in Canada. It's available on Netflix to most of the rest of the world, right? It's kind of weird. Um, Short Treks was not available on Netflix until very recently. Um, so we don't really know when this is coming out and what, what countries or regions it will be available in. We do know that it's supposed to premiere 
basically today that the episode is coming out. So our show releases on Thursdays. Um, so this week for for episode two of of Discovery season two is when this is supposed to premiere. I'm assuming probably after the episode, so 9:30 Eastern, give or take, um, would be my guess. But we don't know for sure yet. Yeah. So it's um. But again, I'm just thinking it's it's fine to go to the online content, like you said. Maybe the it's just so easy for them to produce. They can do it right after the episode, and you know, after Trek just didn't get any traction. Mm-hmm. All right. So last piece of news before we move on to the real the real meat of our episode here uh, has to do with uh, Michelle Yeoh's Section Thirty One Philippa Georgiou series. Um, Basically, so if you don't know, uh, it was announced that she is getting her own spinoff series that will focus on Section 31, perhaps be a bit of a Black Ops kind of show, and that uh, Michelle has uh, has signed on to do that in some capacity. That's all we know, at, um, really, at this point. In addition to that, though, we do know that we may be waiting a long time um, so basically it's been confirmed that the Picard series, which does not have a name yet, it's not actually called Picard officially, um, is not going to be available until the end of 2019, maybe early 2020. Uh, their goal is the end of 19. That's, that's the window that they're shooting for. However, the Giorgio character will be in this season of Discovery, if you've seen the previews and things like that, um we may be waiting for her show because it was also noted that uh let's see this quote here i just kind of want to point out from uh mcnamara that uh let's see where is it i apologize i just i just had it um here we go when i look at how the schedule is theoretically laying out on my desk it does not feel like it's one after another she said um the, she then adds, uh, and this I'm reading this off of TrekCore, um, that dis- her show may not premiere until Discovery is over. And quote, some of these can be considered as replacements as opposed to additions. So by that, we may see the Section 31 show be a replacement for Discovery after Discovery has, you know, three, four, five seasons. Yeah, which is entirely possible because, you know, I've been kind of under the belief that Discovery may only get three seasons, maybe maybe five if they really stretch it. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. It's entirely possible that, like you said, if they if they are going to wait until Discovery ends, and if Discovery gets a decent bump with with the second season, then yeah, I mean, it could be five years before we get a Section Thirty One show, which again is also smart because. Like you and I both know, if if the Section 31 with Giorgio on Season 2 and whatever pans and doesn't do well, they might be able to shelve the they might just shelve the whole Section 31 show then. I suppose that's possible. Um, you know, there's there's no way to really know this early on, I think, is part of the problem, right? They've, they've announced that this thing is happening, but you're right. A year or two from now, they may want to change course. Uh, no, no pun intended, but um, <laughs> it's a good pun to have, though. <laughs> um, they they also basically confirm that lower decks is a ways out because even after they finish writing it and casting it and recording all the audio and all that type of stuff, the animation by itself will take uh, a year to do for what they're looking for for their first season. So considering that we don't have any casting information yet for Lower Decks, I would imagine we're looking at late 2020, maybe 2021, before we see that show. Yeah, and especially because, again, that gives Let's Discovery have essentially two, three full seasons, uh, and they can start continuing to flush out their content on just exactly what they want to do with the rest of the Star Trek universe. Because mm-hmm. I still I still get the impression, especially after this episode, that they're already starting to do some course correction from uh, from Discovery Season 1. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, and this, this actually makes me feel good in a way, whereas I'm the type of person who probably can't get enough Star Trek content. I know that there's just so much content overload these days across the board, uh, not just Star Trek, you know, as far as... You know, Marvel's MCU stuff, DC stuff. Um, there's just so many shows on streaming services now, like Hulu and Netflix, that it's just difficult to keep up with everything. So 
this there were some people concerned that we were going to have multiple Star Trek shows airing at the same time or back to back like the DC Universe has planned for their shows. But it's certainly sounding more like there's going to be significant gaps and maybe we'll get two a year, you know, like Discovery season two and Picard season one may begin in the calendar year of 2019. But it's sounding more like we're going to have, you know, six, nine month gaps um, between some of this stuff, which, you know, if that's the case, I think that'll keep people you know, occupied without feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see it. At least they have, you know, definitive, like definable or definitive ideas that they're trying to work on and get solicit feedback on and see how they, they feel in the environment mm-hmm. versus, you know, I always use the Game of Thrones reference, another big show. They're talking about all the prequels, but nobody has any idea what the prequels are going to be. They have rumor, 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 and they're starting to cast people and they're starting to try to hire directors, but you know, one director says yes, one director says no, because they're like, what are your plans? What direction do you want us to go in? You know, in this day and age of content creation, people are spending a lot more time making, like, planning efforts so that they can be as successful as possible. And how many, how many times have you and I talked about major movies? They cut a director three months into filming because they realized that this direction's not working. we got to make a change now. Mm-hmm. It's like the days of writing out creative content for a season... And making a court and making and trying to make a big change in season like the second season doesn't work. If they don't like you after season one, they just cancel you. Yeah, I mean that definitely seems to be the case. Shows get axed pretty quickly nowadays. Um, you know, shows don't tend to get the big runs. Obviously, there's exceptions like Game of Thrones or The Big Bang Theory, something like that. But it's becoming less and less common. Having three to five seasons seems to be more the norm now, rather than trying to shoot for eight to ten. Um, you know, but, you know, and we'll talk about this as we get into our, our review here. Season two of Discovery definitely seems to have made some fairly significant changes um, from season one, some of which is supposedly based on fan feedback, which is cool. You know, on one hand, they are listening, which always feels good. Yeah, and I'm. it's important because a lot, you know, obviously in this day and age with just the way the Internet is, Twitter, Facebook, there's so much, so much outlets and I genuinely believe that 95% of fans, when they give feedback, they're they're trying to give legitimate feedback on what they want to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's 5% of a fan base that's just going to, they're either going to hate everything no matter what you do, or they're going to love everything no matter what you do. And, I, but I think the bulk of fans are willing to give creative feedback um, on how to make the, on how to make what they love better. Yeah. Not always, not always. I'm a little optimistic. <laughs> fair enough um well is there anything else you want to discuss on news before we head into our review no i say we just dive right into season two episode one the episode brother all right well before we do that we're going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk all about it hey there i'm batman and i wanted to tell you about my friends at the screen heroes podcast They deliver sweet justice in the form of discussing movies, television, and me. They love my movies. Every single one of them. Yes, even that one. Sometimes they even have me on as a guest, which is thrilling. You can find them at twitch.tv slash heroes podcasts. Live on Tuesdays at 9pm Eastern Gotham time. If you can't tune in live, the new shows go up on places like Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Gotham Radio, Demoscura Live, and Blog Talk Radio. Now, back to your regularly scheduled Batcast. Alright everybody, welcome back uh, to Red Shirts and Runabouts episode 57. Derek and I just got done talking about some ongoing Star Trek news, some, some of the upcoming shows and such. But the big content for that we were going to discuss this week was Season 2, Episode 1 of Discovery, the episode titled Brother. Which, um, you know, it's a, it's a good, it was a good episode, you know, mixed mixed reviews. But before we dive into the significant plot, Derek, was was I the only one that got thrown by the first, oh, by the opening of the episode when Burnham was talking? And she started with what I thought was going to be the regular intro. And then it just dived right into, like, the episode. Um, 
No, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, uh, I don't think I was thrown necessarily. I wasn't really expecting them to really stick to any old style plans or, or anything like that. You know, like the TNG intro. Um, and then as far as like the, the credit sequence and stuff, I was just kind of focused on reading who was in the credits, which probably, um, wasn't the best use of my brain power at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all do that. <laughs> but what 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 kind of threw you? What part specifically do you were you kind of focused in on? Well, it's because she started with the whole you know, you know, space to final frontier style of arrangement, and I was like, oh, that's kind of neat having the main character. That's pretty pretty typical for the Star Trek series to do that. Have the main character do the little the little prologue opening. But then it was literally her talking about, you know, the uh, one, of, one of the African tribal um, histories of how the Milky was created. And then it dove right into, the, right, right into the story with her as a young child meeting Sarek and meeting Amanda and even meeting little young Spock. Yeah, little young Spock was, I thought, pretty good casting. He looked so much like the animated series Childhood Spock. Yeah, he did a good job, and even, you know, different enough from Kelvin Young Spock to be different, but similar enough that you could tell it's Young Spock. Right. Yes, absolutely. You know, nobody's going to look at that kid and go, "Why is there a Young Vulcan on this?" They're they're going to move. They're going to immediately know. I um, definitely a little. He kind of fits with what we saw in the Kelvin timeline. A little bit, a little bit more aggressive, but we figure out why. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so it's I. You know, I'm again. I know everybody's torn on the whole change to canon of Spock now having a sister that he never mentioned in 250 years. But yeah. well, not 250 years, but 150 years. But you know what? It's that ship has sailed. We can't we can't make changes to that now. It, I talked with some people on Twitter about this, and it it really shouldn't bother anybody. And there's there's two big reasons it shouldn't bother anybody: Sarek and Cybok. So in the original series, you go back to Journey to Babel and Kirk didn't know that that was his father, that that was Spock's father, Sarek. You know, Spock hadn't even explained who his own father was. And then you jump ahead a couple of decades to Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and learn that Spock has a half-brother, something Kirk still did not know by that point in their friendship, their relationship. Um, we're talking about two characters that are supposedly like, like brothers to each other, Kirk and Spock, and even Kirk didn't know about Cybok. So if Kirk didn't know about Spock's half brother after 30 ish years, why would he tell anybody about Michael Burnham, who is a adoptive foster type sibling? Um, if Spock's that literal when Kirk asked at some point, do you have any brothers? And Spock said no, because he only has a half-brother. Well, then if he asked if he has any sisters, I guess the answer would have been no to that, too. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's a good point. You know, and beside the fact that we only get to see a small window into these characters' worlds, you know? If you look at the original series, you had 79 episodes, you had six movies, and that was it. We're not talking about a massive amount of content here, right? We're talking under 100 hours of footage, not all of which is between Kirk and Spock. So maybe he does know about Burnham and we just never got to see it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, but they had to, they had to bring it back around because they talk about it all season one. So that's what I mean is I'm not too worried about what they're doing because the, the, the relationship was already established last year. And it's good to bring in content from a character you know it's already part of the universe at this time, Spock. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I, I understand what the showrunners are doing. It'd, it'd be almost kind of silly not to take advantage of having a, a access to a character like that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I was, if anything, I was a little disappointed we didn't get to actually see Spock, adult Spock yet. Um, I know we will, and it'll probably be in the next episode. But I was kind of excited to get that part of the story going because it seems to be so important. Um, even, you know, Pike's reaction about Spock being missing and everything just left a lot of questions open and had me very intrigued. Yeah, but speaking of Pike, I, again, I know everybody's been saying it, but 
Ants and Mount stole the entire episode, basically. Seriously. Um, you know... Yeah. He looks the part. There's no question that he looked the part before we got to watch this episode. Um, I didn't really know him much as an actor. The only thing I'd ever seen him in was the Inhumans uh, pilot, the very first episode of that. So I didn't really have much of an impression of him. But what what did he do for you, Greg? Because I've been talking way too much. I think he he felt very natural in the role and the way he interacted with the cast and crew. And even the even the um, as we dive into a little bit of spoilers here and there, even the introductory on the Discovery when he's meeting the command staff. And he has his file displayed on screen and you know, Burnham's like, Oh I'm sorry, we'll take that down and he's like, No, no, it's okay. I want the I want the crew to know me. You know, I you guys had difficulty last year with Lorca. You didn't know who he was and he betrayed the crew. I want you to understand that I'm an open book and you know, you may not like every decision I make, but this right here is my file. You know, this lets you know the background of who I am and how I became who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something a leader does. He to win to win the initial level of respect from his crew. And you know, there was some things that you know, some things I I didn't like on the way they did some of the just some of the scripting and such with the feedback or the commentary among the cast and crew, but the way Anson Mount presented himself as a captain and led as a captain. Again, I'm not too keen on him being on an away mission because I know that's the original series. Kirk always went on away missions, but again, I'm always that person. I'm like the captain stays on the bridge and, but you know, otherwise it's, he's taking on leadership of the role. He even made a joke about the uniform. Um, but he was natural. He he felt and looked and acted like a captain on a Star Trek show. Like he belongs. He, they're going to run into the same problem they ran with Michelle Yao. Is everybody falls in love with the temporary captain? Mm-hmm. That you know, next year we're going to hear about the the Captain Pike series starting in five years with Anson Mount. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on on most of that. I'm okay with him going on the away missions simply because of the time frame. Right? We already knew that Pike liked to go on away missions in the cage. We know that. You know, Kirk always took Spock down when they went on their away missions. So I almost feel like it would have been weird if he hadn't gone on an away mission. That would have sent a separate message that I don't think they would want to send. But but even again, and the other thing I really liked and respected about what they did with the, with his character at the end of the episode. And again, we haven't dived into spoilers too much, but obviously the ep- there's going to be multiple episodes. So this is no surprise. You know, when he actually looks at Saru and says, okay, you know, Commander, my part of the mission is done. The ship is now yours again. I mean, that's something that, you know, the military code aside, whatever, you could read into that way too much. But that's something a leader would do, is him saying, this is Saru's ship. Saru's the acting captain. My part in this is over. So, Saru, I'm I'm acceding to you so you can take over. And you can see the whole crew on the bridge was... Like happy about that, not because they didn't like Pike, but they're happy for what the imagery is. That he respects them enough to give it back to Saru when his mission was done. And I think that's the key, right? Is that respect. That he respect the crew and that they respect him in return. And that he isn't simply barking orders. You know, that they believe he's there for the right reasons. And he comes off pretty well. Like when he when we're first introduced to him on the on the transporter pad and I guess we didn't do a spoiler warning. I apologize if, if um, we've spoiled anything for you yet. But yeah, spoilers for episode one, Brother of Discovery. Um, but when he we first meet him and he explains why he's there, you know, Saru is very uneasy. I feel like Saru has kind of already guessed that he will be losing command here. Um, but he's he's pretty quick to explain the situation. And when Saru puts his foot down and demands that, you know, they confirm that he really is Pike you know, and that sort of thing, Pike is okay with that. He understands and he respects it. And I think that's really important because we are on the side of the Discovery crew, right? Our heroes right now are Saru and Burnham and, you know, the rest the rest of the bridge crew and so forth. So to have this guy who, you know, we don't really know show up on the ship and take command away from a character that I personally felt deserved the captain's seat after the end of season one. I'm glad he handled it the way he did. Yeah, me too. And, you know, this episode didn't just introduce Captain Pike. It introduced a whole variety of characters. And maybe we'll just... He was the big one. The big introduction was him. 
and you know a young young child Spock of course early on who you know meets meets young Burnham and they're obviously their initial meeting is I don't know is tense a good word uh, yes when he throws a, a holographic demon snake at her mm-hmm. um, so tense but that's you know that's just a really quick image we have at the beginning of the episode but they don't waste any time with again that's something I do like about the latter half of season one and season two beginning is they're not wasting time with plot stuff mm-hmm. starts happening almost the moment the show opens up yeah the pacing i thought was really strong um it was kind of funny a, a friend of mine and i, I apologize for forgetting who posted a, a fun thing about how star trek beyond kind of just felt like a movie trying to be an episode which was a good thing because we love beyond um and then this episode felt like an episode trying to be a movie because um, it was just very, very to the point. It was very uh, seamlessly done. It was action packed. It was high, super high production value. Um, and I, I mean this, you know, in all the positive ways that something can be a movie. It really was solid. Um, yeah, CBS is not holding back funding. No, at least when it comes to CGI and the look and feel of the show. I don't know what the the financials are specifically. Nobody, nobody really does. But the look of the show is top notch. Well, we know last year they were paying about eight million an episode. Um, yeah, I just mean I don't I don't know what the division is between yeah. like the contracting for the actors and actresses and everything else. Absolutely. Um, now, so we got introduced to a couple more characters, right? We had uh, Commander Nan, who is um, his uh, chief engineer, Pike's chief engineer. Um, cool thing about her that I I definitely did not connect the dots on this, so this is not credit towards me but credit where credit's due several people are assuming now and, and guessing and co- trying to connect the dots that non is actually a barzan um, oh which she's is definitely a, a barzan yeah you think so yeah okay it's super cool and i'm looking at uh, another trek core article because these guys are fantastic um of a side-by-side um <laughs> and she does look non does look exactly like the Barzan from the TNG episode, The Price. Uh, there's no question about it. I didn't notice. I thought she looked really cool, and I was like, oh, this is great, a new alien. It's, she's, it's not a new alien, but it's it's a future alien that we now get to see in the past, which I thought was a, a wonderful throwback. Yeah, and this episode even has, you know, again, we're not getting into too much spoilers, but when they meet Jet Reno and she's talking about some of the aliens... On, on the Hiawatha, you know, she mentions Tellarite, and she names drop a few of the other major Federation founding species, which I kind of like, too. Because you have a Barzan, which we saw once in Next Generation, you never saw again, really. Yeah, I mean, she even mentions a Bolian at one point, which is super cool. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, a Saurian on the, on the ship, uh, the alien in the elevator. Uh, he was super cool. That's a character that has only been in canon tangentially almost he, there was a saurian in the the collected audience in the motion picture when they're all kind of you know in that big auditorium room and you've got just a bunch of people standing there's there's a saurian there and this is the first time we've gotten to see them kind of up close and personal which i thought was really neat um so i mean you know, these these discovery writers and creators are really digging into species that we've heard of that we've seen glimpses of and making them bigger brighter spots well and i think it's smart because it adds variety to the show it's not just humans and beta z and klingons and such it's let's get some of the interesting interesting species out there and you know commander non is the barzan is is alien enough to be unique but attractive enough to draw the eye um she's got a good voice got a good presence got a good screen got a good screen view so, yeah, I mean, use use interesting characters that people are going to like and people are going to talk about. So then, of course, on the flip side of that, the other character we're introduced to is Evan Connolly, who is the character we're all disappointed to see when we think it's supposed to be Spock. So... And the character created purely just so people don't like him? I mean, basically, you know, not not to turn him into something he's not, but, like, his whole arc here, and this does get into spoilers, is to be condescending, short, snippy, annoying, and then die while mansplaining. Yeah, which <laughs> I think is just, it's a cheap way of using 21st century problems <laughs> to a make bit. a you hate a character. Because the, in the, the main reason I say that is, 
There's no way Captain Pike lets an officer like that get anywhere on his command crew. Wouldn't yeah, happen. I think I'm with you there. Um, and, like, look, I mean, come on. He's he's talking back to and basically insulting the main character, Michael Burnham, of the show. Maybe she's not your favorite character, but she's the lead. This is This is really her show. And so we're not meant to like this guy. And I appreciated the trope of killing off a not red shirt. Well, yeah, you kill a blue shirt, which never happens, really. Um, I just think they could have been a little a little smarter about it. Like, if they wanted to have a character challenge Burnham, but without being a condescending little brat, I think it would have been more entertaining. And, you know, even when she screams when, con- when you know, spoiler alert, when Jerkman dies, you know, there's no reason for Burnham to even really care. I mean, she'd been like, he's been a jerk to me the entire time he's been here. Um, she cares because he's a fellow Starfleet officer, which I appreciate. But I almost, almost prefer when they... Remember the, the original series episode, you know, Let This Be Our Last Battlefield? Mm, of course. And, uh, you know, the, Federation, the, the bridge officers are, are dealing with aliens with their own form of, like, racism and condescending bigotry. And the bridge crew's like, you know, we kind of grew out of this hundreds of years ago. What, what do you, what's your problem? And it, that's what leads me to believe that if there was a command crew person like that under Captain Pike, Pike would have squashed him or trans, like, transferred him. He's like, I'm not gonna have this guy on my ship. He's a he's a cancer, because he was kind of a jerk to even Pike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he definitely was. Um, he was. He's, um, he exists just for us to hate him. That's why he exists. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I think it was designed that way so that way his death didn't really have much of an emotional impact. It may have been surprising and a little shocking, but at the end of the day, you know, we don't really feel that much of a loss. We all felt. Much more of a loss, you know, when uh, Giorgio dies, you know, in the beginning of season one, or when Tasha Yar died in TNG. You know, these were much heavier losses, and I think that was very much on purpose. I don't think we were meant to care. Yeah, which again, I just think you could they could have been a little, a little better at that. Make a character that you care about, even in ten minutes, but you can still make him be a challenge without being, I don't know. It's just the whole Pike thing. I'm like, Pike would not tolerate such nonsense. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, maybe imagine that guy being to... on the bridge with Kirk later on? <laughs> I mean, Kirk would have spaced well, him. <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I think maybe Pike got stuck with him when Spock went on leave. Yeah, maybe. Just yeah. like, got to reduce my impression of Captain Pike a little bit. <laughs> like, I just, the moment he talked back to me on the transporter pad, I'm like, you know what, you're just, I'm just sending you back to the Enterprise. <laughs> I, don't got to, I really don't got time for this. Um, So we get into, like, I guess the meat of the plot, right? So the whole plot of this season is that there's these seven red bursts spread throughout the galaxy in a way that looks artificial, and that's what this is all about. Um, So Pike uh, takes command of the Discovery under Regulation 19, Section C, um, for all three of the possible reasons, which are an imminent threat to the Federation, danger to Federation citizens, and the, no officers available of equal or higher rank to mitigate the threat. Um, and I thought that last one was the most interesting, because the first two make sense, right? This is something that looks artificial, but very powerful, and we don't know what it is. So the first two make sense. The third one is interesting because it's basically a confirmation that Starfleet does not recognize Saru's authority on Discovery. Yeah, he is truly the acting captain, not the captain. And, you know, I guess it makes sense since they were on their way to Vulcan to pick up a captain. Um, But, I don't know, it feels a little insulting to Saru. Well, and it's the same thing that you and I have joked about about Next Generation is... It's the data syndrome, where you have an officer of in unlimited capability that has been a lieutenant commander for like two decades or something. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this, this doesn't pass the logic test. And on discovery, you've got, you know, Saru and Burnham. Uh, I mean, Stamet's got a promotion. I think he's a full commander now, um, mm-hmm. but you got Saru and Burnham that are essentially command level type personnel that have performed on the show, miraculous feats that Starfleet, Eh, here's a little plastic metal, but still Starfleet's <laughs> not completely acknowledging. Right. Yeah, I'm completely with you. 
But I did like the uh, the feedback that they gave, you know, when Pike was lamenting not being involved in the war, and them commenting on, well, you're on your five year mission, which truly means like how far away the five year search missions were. They were legitimate deep space investigations. Yeah, I thought that that was interesting because it was a concern that a lot of people, myself included, brought up last year about where is the Enterprise? Where are these Constitution class starships that we're supposed to, you know, know about the Big 12, you know? Um, hell, even in this episode, it's pointed out that for something to take down the Enterprise, it would have to be pretty substantial because that thing can pack a punch, right? Yeah, there's that there's that book called The Federation about the first 150 years of, of the Federation. Mm-hmm. And there's commentary in there from you know, canon sources about the Klingons that viewed the the 12 Constitution-class ships as, like, literally power-balancing changing ships, even 12 of them. So there's something about them that is just completely dominating that... I don't know if Starfleet's ever had another comparable ship. I guess maybe the Defiant or the Sovereign, but there's something about these 12 ships that are definitely really special. Right, and... So that they, they did kind of explain it away by saying, well, you're on your five-year mission. You were three years into it. You would have been so far away um, that you could never have gotten home. Uh, that kind of works to a certain extent, except, and maybe I'm misremembering, but I could have sworn during TOS the Enterprise went back to Earth once or twice. No, it did, they did go back to Earth once or twice, but here's the other thing is, you know, we get it that the Federation's huge, but obviously the Enterprise made it back. So they did. They recalled it apparently, because Discovery didn't go out to get them. Well, right. <laughs> they were traveling to Vulcan, <laughs> so and they got a distress call from the Enterprise, and on the on the stellar cartography map, Vulcan and Earth are relatively close to each other, mm-hmm. and so it, obviously the Enterprise was in Federation space doing something. That's um, what's a little weird for me. Is like okay, so they weren't recalled for the war. The war did end relatively quickly for for, for wars, right? Um, but they still could have, would have gotten back at about the same time. I don't know that that part didn't really work for me. I get that they were just trying to explain why they weren't around or what they were doing during the war, so they didn't have to exp- like make up battle names that they were a part of. Uh, but I'm not really sure it holds water. No, I mean it's you know, I you know last year when we were recording, I always made fun of that MacGuffin of the whole. You know, we were not detected. The moon's magnetic field obscured us. And then you stop to think about it. Like, you're like, wait, the moon and the magnetic field. And so it's the same thing here. It's like, oh, we were so far away. You know, you getting back in time wouldn't have made sense, even though we found you en route to Vulcan. Right. So it, it's just, yeah, I get it. It's the hand wave to try to make it make sense. But if you stop and think about it, it's like that, that, the joke we always make where you didn't immediately catch it, but your brain did. Mm-hmm. And then you think about it. You're like, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't really make any sense. Agreed. It, it almost would have made better sense to say Starfleet kept the 12 Constitution-class ships in defense around Earth. Boom. Problem solved. Yeah, because at least then we could argue strategy rather than logic. Yeah. Like, show show logic, right? Um, I'm with you. I think, they, I think you're right. They could, have done, they could have done what the, you know, DS9 did when the, when the Breen attacked Earth. They could have said the Klingons launched, you know, three suicide attacks on Earth, so they recalled the Constitution-class ships or something. Mm-hmm. And no, I boom, think you're right. problem solved. At least, at least then it makes sense why they're so close. But the since we talked about those little red bursts, and you know they they get to one, they have a little little pod racing scene to get down to the asteroid. Connolly, you know, <laughs> this is pod racing. That's um, funny. Connolly is killed, and no tears are shed. Uh, but they find a Federation ship on it, and. You know, this is, again, we're getting into a little bit of spoiler territory. I actually, for a little bit, I thought it was going to be some alien race using, like, a Federation signal to draw the Federation there for some reason. Hmm. But obviously not, because it's the USS Hiawatha, which was a medical frigate that was missing, who apparently has a a nine-time Nobel Prize-winning engineer as a doctor. That, That, again, you know, they explained it away, but it's... Why is this engineer on a medical frigate? She should be on a battle cruiser. Yeah. So, so first off, this is Tignataro's introduction to the series. I'm actually I'm a pretty big fan of her. I think she's hilarious. She's a a stand-up comedian as well as a, as an actor. Um and I think she's pretty funny. I love I I just love her delivery. And um you know, she she plays a, a very much a version of herself in this, which I'm totally cool with. But you're right. 
man. Like she is clearly one of the best engineers uh, or doctors that, that we've ever come in contact with, you know what I mean? She's so great. Okay. She's this amazing engineer, but the fact that she could translate that to keeping a Tellarite officer alive with an external heart from a different species is unbelievably amazing. And you would think she would end up back at Starfleet Medical or something like that, coming up with incredible triage techniques for severe um, accident scenarios and things like that. You remember on Voyager how much trouble the EMH had when Neelix lost his lungs? Mm-hmm. And this this engineer is, you know, was like, ah, he said his heart was failing, but I used this random heart I found in a locker. And uh, well, I mean, she did have dead. She had a lot of dead officers that she could borrow <laughs> yeah, organs from. You know, I don't, Voyager didn't have that at that particular time because it was a unique situation. No, I know. I was just, but... I was just, I was just playing fun. But I it's do, a good point, I do though. like, I, I do like how they're letting Nataro be herself because that's been her strong point with her stand-up is just being who she is. Mm-hmm. And some people like her, some people don't. That's fine, but she is who she is, and she's not. She doesn't. She actually looks real on the set, and that's something I like is when they just let the characters be the characters, which. You and I have commented on that before. One of the strengths of TNG was the interpersonal relationships among the cast and crew. They felt like they belonged together. And that's something that with Anson Mount now and Tignataro and a few of the other people, they're letting them, I think they're letting them be a little bit more of the, of who they are in real life translate into the show. Mm-hmm. Which I'm yeah. perfectly fine with. And use, use their talents, use their strengths. It's, you know, it's, remember what I said last week, you don't, you don't count or cast Dwayne Johnson to be, you know, a chef. You you cast Dwayne Johnson because he looks good and he's big on screen and he can also act and he's got charisma. Right. And, you know, he was a wrestler on Voyager, for God's sake. That's true. Uh, that's true. And, and so that's what I'm glad what they're doing, what they're letting happen with Anson Mount and Tignataro is they're letting them use a lot of their natural, natural abilities to make their characters even more interesting. Mm-hmm. Because I like it when they're asking her, how'd you do all this? And she's like, well, it's... Yeah, it's medical, but it's just a different way of engineering the body. And I'm like, that's kind of a unique perspective. I've never heard that before. No, it was it was very cool. Um, I, I don't want to move too quick past the, uh, the Padre scene, as you put it, because that is, I think, the fourth time we've seen a scene like that since the, the birth of the Kelvin timeline. Um, you know, because we, we had it in the 09 movie. We had it uh, in Into Darkness. And then we had it in the first uh, season of Discovery, really like in the first episode when Burnham has to uh, go to the, the the Klingon ship where the signal is. Yeah, they're definitely taking advantage of the fact that they've got better CGI technology and they want to use it, which is perfectly fine. I mean, that's because you commented on that before about something that all the books talk about is the Starfleet vessels don't just have shuttlecraft. They've got all these accessory vehicles they use. They just we never see them. Mm-hmm. And now, so far on Discovery, we're starting to see it. They have shuttle pods. They have these little life pods. They have these engineering pods. I'm like, that's you open up a technical manual. These ships have you know some of them have like 70 different vehicles on board. It is cool. I mean, it definitely shows that their CGI budget is not only solid, but the artwork behind it is as well. Because uh, pretty much everything looked great. Um, if I had to nitpick any visuals, it would be when they were rolling out the, the, the grav unit thing to hold the asteroid, the way it unfolded kind of looked a little funny. Um, but that's probably my only technical complaint from a special effects perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's sometimes it, it had the same problem that, you know, into darkness had where there's stuff happening on screen and it's kind of hard to follow just because mm. there's so much activity with the asteroid and this that and the other thing that yeah it's kind of hard to see but that's kind of par for the course these days yeah so um all right so they go they get they get tignataro they go back to the ship um you know uh i guess I'm trying to think what else really happens i mean burnham gets hurt that's a big one. Um, she got really hurt. <laughs> yeah, she she got left behind um, and gets injured. We get to see the the red angel creature that we had a glimpse of in the trailer for the season. 
um, before it ends up being Pike. And that's big for me because, yes, we joke about the captain going down on the away missions, but this is a little different. This was a rescue mission. And for Pike, who's just met these people and realized how dangerous it was over there to begin with, I thought it was pretty cool that he risked coming back on his own for her. It's not surprising that they rescued her. I was surprised it was him personally. Yeah, he uh, like he even kind of threw that comment in there. He's like, "We don't leave, we don't leave our own behind," or something. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was great. I thought it was really cool that that he did that. Um, there may be some question as to how he was able to get back over there because I doubt he used one of those pods again. Um, so maybe there was some type of transporter technique that they were able to use after the fact or something. I don't know, but they're obviously not going to kill Burnham off in episode one. So <laughs> No, and that's the interesting thing about this episode is one of my complaints last year was it felt like some of the episodes was the story was driving the characters. But this one, it starts to feel it's starting to feel like that maybe they heard that feedback because the characters were really driving the story. We really want to know what's going on with Spock. We're interested in knowing more about Anson Mount. We're interested in knowing more about the future of Burnham and Saru is stuff's happening around them, but they're trying to drive the story versus they're not just reacting. They're trying to be proactive. Mm-hmm. And I like that. You know, it's a it's a mystery trying to figure out what's going on. You know, is it? Is it something that, you know, what are these seven things? What are these seven bursts? Is it the Organians? Is it this? Is it that? You know, what is, does it look different to everybody that sees it? Things like that. Right. Um, and again, this episode was unique in the fact that a lot happens, but really not much happens on a plot, if you think about it. Yeah, it's a condensed story, right? We meet Pike and his officers. We find the Hiawatha, which is where the the red dot signal is supposed to be coming from and we get a piece of the asteroid. That's really all that happens. Um, and I mean, the asteroid thing is interesting. I I'm very curious as to why it couldn't be transported. I'm wondering if it's in some state of flux. Um, cause that's always caused problems for transporters in the past. So maybe it exists in multiple realities or multiple time periods. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to figure out. It's going to, you know, I'm, I can't be the only one wondering. I'm like, is, how was the Hiawatha crashed on this thing if, if Starfleet is just discovering it? So the asteroids aren't the important part, but they have that material that's really important. Mm-hmm. And what is it? You know, they call it dark matter, but it can't be beamed. So they, they, have, they have a lot to, to go with this year on having a mystery. It's going to be kind of like that, you know, that three or four episode chain in season, I think it was season four or five of Star Trek of Next Generation when they're following the progenitor clues or whatever, mm-hmm. is I wonder if they're going to do something like this. You know, one each each burst leads to the next, which leads to the next, and it turns out that, you know, it's some alien race that just arrived in the the, the Milky Way galaxy and they're lost or something, I don't know. Or <laughs> I don't think it's going to be something malevolent. I don't think they're going to end... A Klingon Federation war just to bring on some extra galactic alien invader. Now, I think no, it's going to be fair. more. I think it's going to be more in depth than that. Maybe a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe something a little bit more rested in, rested in science or mystery or something like that. No, I'm with you. I definitely think this season is going to focus more on character, more on the ethical, moral, philosophical implications of things rather than battle sequences. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Star Trek, so we'll still have a battle now and then. Right. But, you know, the it's not going to be... We're not going to have the battle of the binary stars every episode or Battlestar Galactic every episode. Exactly. Um, so, a few other things do happen, though. We, uh, we get some new looks at Tilly's, you know, command track personality. She's obviously found a lot more confidence in herself. She has more authority and responsibility now, and I think that's given her a real sense of self-esteem that she's able to to use in positive ways because of her unique way of thinking and her intelligence. Um, so that was pretty fun. I like that. You know, she's got the line where she's drunk with power. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which, again, she's she remains probably the most human character on the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking literally. I just mean with her interactions and such. And 
we had Stamets announcing, you know, that he was accepted to a position on the Vulcan Science Academy, which I don't think there's ever been a human instructor there. So he would be the first, I believe. I think you're probably right. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I don't think he's going to be leaving the ship. No, and it, again, it's something... Maybe, you know, last week I was predicting that, you know, Saru was going to die this year, but maybe maybe something's going to happen to Stamets, because the, the, for next week's episode, they show them screwing around with the spore drive again. Well, I, I definitely would... I do not expect Stamets to die. I don't. Um, I expect him to stay on Discovery for multiple reasons. I think when you see him at the end of the episode, when he comes into the shuttle bay to help Tilly capture this asteroid and he's excited about it. And at first he's even a little insulted that he wasn't invited. And you kind of see that, that smile again that we had prior to Colbert's death. I think that is not the last time we'll see it. I think he will find a new sense of being a new sense of purpose on the ship with its new mission. And, you know, look, this isn't really a spoiler or anything like that. It's been very public, but Wilson, Wilson Cruz, you know, his name is in the opening credits, um, which means he's going to be in most of those episodes. Not necessarily every one of them, though that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, but he's in the same opening credit sequence as Sonequa Martin-Green and Doug Jones and, and so forth, Anthony Rapp. Um He's a main cast character. And so maybe we will see him again. Maybe this journey takes us into a time travel scenario or an alternate reality or something that is able to bring him back. This actually leads me to something that we see in the episode, which is the fortune, right? We, we get that little throwback to Lorca's fortune cookies and Pike reads the, the this one fortune that says, not every cage is a prison, not every loss eternal. And I think this has two really big meanings to it. The first half is obviously referencing the cage, Pike's pilot episode of Star Trek, which really pointed out that like that cage that they were in, you know, his per, his perception of it was that it's still a prison by any other name, but you know, it wasn't what we think of as a prison, right? But the not every loss eternal portion, I'm I'm wondering if that's a clue to Colbert's return. Well, it's entirely possible. And if you think about the end the end result for Pike in the original series, when he returns to Talos, you know, it that sure wasn't a prison to him at that point. It's it's some interesting stuff. And you know, we've seen that there's some trailers for the whole season. We see Culber a few times. We see Ash Tyler back in a Starfleet uniform. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds and is explained. But I will be surprised if Stamets leaves Discovery on a permanent basis at the end of the season. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Unless they're trying to do a, a Dr. Crusher type thing. where you, But, you know, that was a whole different contracting issue with cast and crew. If they're trying to be dramatic and they announce it now and maybe Stamets leaves and for season three, he's not there in the first two episodes, but then something happens. And they're like, no, we absolutely need to bring him back for whatever reason, because that adds a little bit of drama. Then people are like, oh, no, he's gone. Oh, yeah, he's back. You know, it's a little <laughs> cheap, little cheap thrills that shows do these days. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Um, I hope they don't go that route personally, but I'm, I'm really curious to see where things go. And the only major clip we have for next week uh, is that they're already bringing back George O with Section 31. They, yeah, they sure I, I can't didn't waste wait. Any time. I can't wait to see her. Um, I'm a I'm a big Michelle Yeoh fan, and George O was awesome, even the Mirror Universe version, Emperor George O. So I'm stoked. I can't wait to see what, what she gets to do. Uh, I would agree with you. It's the only... The only concern I have is what I mentioned last year is every time you have these fine cast and crew on on screen and Michelle Yao's on screen, if she just steals the show, just because Michelle Yao is phenomenal. And, you know, she was, like you said, she was great as the Terran Empress, or excuse me, Emperor. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens next week. Maybe she's only in for a couple minutes at the end or something. Um, yeah, that's very possible. But we'll see, because it's... How many episodes this year? Is it 12, 14? I think it's 13. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, that's pretty much all that happens. There's a few other things. Burnham goes onto the Enterprise. She goes into Spock's quarters. Um, she finds the map, basically, so she knows that that's what he's going after as well. Um, that he had like a vision and, and things like that, but that's, that's basically all that happens. So, um, I've got some Twitter stuff from some of our, uh, our followers and things like that to go over, but are there any other plot points that you wanted to cover? No, just that the image that Spock had is is very similar to the one she had on the asteroid. So we know that there's going to be another continued connection between Burnham and Spock this, uh, this, this, this series or this season. So we'll so we'll see what they do with that. Fair enough. Um, a few a few cool technical things, real quick. Thanks to a good old memory alpha. Um, this episode is the first full episode released in what's called a two dot thirty nine by one ratio. Um, the season one was all two by one, which is kind of the new sort of the new standard for cinematic television. Netflix uses it um, for a lot of their original series. Um, but all of these short tracks were 2.39 by 1, and it looks like that's what Discovery will also be shot in. Um, obviously, we just have this one episode to go off of, but that's a cool little comparison. Hmm. Did not know that. Yeah. Um, and it also released on, you know, January 17th, which to all of our European Trekkie friends would be 17.01. So that's kind of cool. Oh, good point, yeah. <laughs> 1701. Yeah. Tiny, tiny little things. I'm, sh- I'm sure that's probably on purpose. I don't know. Maybe it was just a happy coincidence. Not really yeah, you sure. Get, you get a date like that, you got to use it. Right? Yeah. I, I agree. Um, we also got our first reference to the short tracks, which was Saru mentioning his sister, uh, Sarana, who, uh, from his short track episode, The Brightest Star. So that was pretty cool. True, and it's a good way, it's a good way to add a little bit of a comparison with uh, with Burnham as well. Mm-hmm. Both of them have siblings; they're kind of distant. It gives them a little bit more to relate with uh, relate to each other with. Agreed. So on Twitter, we asked uh, our followers how they would grade this episode because we we did that for all the after uh, I'm sorry, all the short treks, and I felt like maybe we'll just kind of keep this trend going for a while. Um, before I reveal what our followers graded it as, Greg, what kind of letter grade would you give brother? I mean, I would give it a, a solid B. If it was a scale of one to 10, I would say it's somewhere right, like right around a seven. Okay. Okay. I actually gave it an A personally. Um, I, I probably give it like a nine on a 10 point scale. So, you know, pretty positive. Our Twitter followers gave it. Uh, 72% gave it an A, followed by 22% with a B, 4% gave it a C, and just 2% gave it a D or lower, since you only get four options on Twitter. Um, a few people replied with some of their thoughts, um, all positive. Everybody who replied uh, was was pretty positive about the show. Um, let's see, one one person uh, at Fitzy Calherb uh, said that the best scene was between Burnham and Sarek in Burnham's Quarters. Good chemistry and adding to Spock lore. Tilly was solid. At Tignataro was awesome in her scenes. So just, you know, a lot of character-focused stuff for that particular person. Um, uh, Hagerstrom J said that the production value is through the roof. Superb pacing and insane quality in all scenes. Not an easy fit bringing all of it together in an action-packed premiere. Um, Really smart use of new content together with canon and general Star Trek lore. Just really impressed. Um, so just lots of really positive stuff just kind of, um, you know, across it. The Sarek and Spock stuff I thought was really interesting. Um, uh, Karen, Karen Chu, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but they thought the whole thing was gorgeous. Um, they love the scene between Stamets and Tilly and the Spore Lab. Um, you know, just a lot of just character-driven stuff, you know, a little bit about the production value, but overall... People really love the the character stuff and the Trek lore that was brought in. Yeah, those are all pretty good comments, and that's something I've been arguing for is 
let's get some more character driven stuff and i think they're i think they're hearing our feedback yeah i mean at the end of the day star trek you know has always been about the human experience which requires the people right um yeah there's pretty ships and cool battles and fun technology but it's about those characters who they are their interactions with each other the ethical moral philosophical existential things that they go through and that's what we all want to see so yeah i mean those are kind of my favorite parts of the episodes too you know just seeing these throwbacks to other trek lore was huge the fact that they're these nods show the more connected universe pike as you said greg anson mount was fantastic and i really felt like the characters returning from season one did just didn't even skip a beat yeah they kept on with what they ended up ended season one with and they're just using that energy so it could be a could be an interesting season that's for sure absolutely um, but yeah, we'll continue to put Twitter polls out there every week for new episodes. I've got some other ideas for some other polls to throw out there. So definitely be sure that you're following at RedShirtsPod on Twitter and voting and replying with more detail. So that way we can talk about your stuff too. Um, Greg, is there anything else you want to cover this week? No, we touched on the news, touched on the episode, uh, talked about what we liked, what we, what we didn't like, what we think they can improve on. So I think, uh, I think we're for our second part of uh, this season. I think we're good to go. Cool. Well, then in that case, where can people get a hold of you out on the the internet? <laughs> on the fine interwebs, you can find me at the underscore bittersteel at yahoo.com or on Twitter where I'm, I'm a little bit more active, the underscore bittersteel there as well. Awesome. And I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter and Facebook. So be sure to check me out there. I also host another show here on the Heroes Podcast Networks called Screen Heroes, which focuses on uh, TV and film, strong slant on superhero sci-fi stuff. So we do a lot of movie reviews, top lists, rankings, and fun debates. You can hear people argue about their opinions on movies. So go check that out if you would like at Heroes Podcasts. Otherwise, I think we're going to call it a week and we will catch you after episode two of season two of Star Trek Discovery. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and is executive produced by me, Derek Mayer. Our music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please consider following us on social media at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, or Patreon. You can also go to HeroesPodcasts.com to find all of the episodes for Red Shirts and Runabouts as well as the other shows on the Heroes Podcast Network. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, or anywhere that you want to drop our RSS feed. If you drop us a review on iTunes, we'll be sure to give you a shout-out on a future episode. Thanks for tuning in. Live long and prosper. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.